Hello, friends. Welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and a conscious human on the wild ride of parenting. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and mama walking the path right next to you as I imperfectly raise my own two teenagers. Joyful Courage is all about grit, and grit stands for growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, and influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. Today is an interview show. I encourage you to listen in for how the components of grit show up as my guest and I tease things apart. Thank you so much for listening. I am deeply, deeply honored to lead you. I am grateful that what I put out matters to you, and I am so flippin' stoked to keep it coming in this new year. Thank you for who you are and for being a part of the community. Enjoy the show. Hi, listeners. My guest today is Iris Chen. Iris is a writer, unschooler, and founder of the Untigering Movement. After seeing the effects of tiger parenting and unhealthy cultural expectations in her own life, she began to deconstruct from her authoritarian ways. Now she's on a mission to empower others to untiger by promoting mental health, peaceful parenting, and educational freedom for children. She recently moved back to California with her husband and two sons after 16 years of living in China. Hi, Iris. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. So talk a little bit more about tiger parenting and the cultural context of this style. Sure. So tiger parenting is what I think of when I think of very strict authoritarian parenting that uses power over children and control. And um, it's sadly often associated with Chinese parenting and Asian parenting, uh, mostly because the term was uh, first written about in Amy uh, Chua's book, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Mm-hmm. So it's often associated with Asian parenting. Um, yeah. And talk a little bit more about the association with Asian parenting and like where, like what are the, because I mean, I can think about tiger parenting and and from the white context, it's just, you know, it's the same as kind of that authoritarian style, mm-hmm. like you said, controlling kind of top down, but how does culture play into tiger parenting? Yeah, I wonder if it's also associated with um, immigrant parenting in a lot of ways, because, you know, a lot of immigrants who come to the country have a lot of pressure to succeed and perform and put that pressure on their children. And so I wonder if that is an aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, um, you know, in Asian cultures, traditionally, there have been very limited avenues to achieve success because there's like when I lived in China a lot of what they said was always like oh there's so much competition like we have so many people here and they're all vying for like the same position or to be noticed and so there's definitely a sense of competition and scarcity Mm -hmm. and so I wonder if that also plays into it and also this collectivist view rather than an individualistic one Mm -hmm. so you're like what you do 
reflects on your family. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, a deep sense of responsibility and duty and hard work. And so I think all those things play into tiger parenting in the Asian context. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your experience growing up. Yeah, so I, my parents were like pretty typical Asian immigrant parents, mm -hmm. you know, very strict, had um, a lot of rules of what I was allowed to do or what I was not allowed to do. And like me, maybe to my white friends, it seemed really extreme, but um, uh, among my Chinese or Asian friends, it was pretty standard, mm -hmm. you know, like we couldn't watch TV without asking. We had to eat everything that was on our plate. We weren't allowed to date, you know, all those things. So um, I just sort of accepted it. I didn't, but, but I think I did resent it. There was definitely a culture gap, you know, seeing the way my friends around me were raised and the type of relationship they had with their parents and, um, noticing that some of those aspects were lacking in my own family. So, yeah. Did you have any room? So you mentioned before I hit record that you grew up teenage years in the Bay area, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you find like as a teenager that there was any room to push back against this, what you felt was like this kind of confining strict parenting? Yeah. Yeah. So I think with my personality, mm -hmm. what I discovered was like, I learned to follow all the rules, right? Um, but I resented it. <laughs> so I, it. I learned how to be the good girl and I mm -hmm. got the grades and I did what was expected. You know, I didn't really rebel, but I think internally I always felt sort of embittered by you know, ways that I felt suffocated or ways mm -hmm. that I didn't feel like I had freedom. So part of it was, you know, maybe self-imposed in terms of like, I, I was just a rule follower. That's how sure. I was conditioned to behave. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, but I knew I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. Well, and I think it's so interesting when we talk about parenting styles and I'm sure that you do this in your work too, but one of the thing that things that comes up is, you know, when I lead groups and we talk about punishment specifically mm -hmm. and people's experiences of punishment, you know, it usually falls into, like you said, some resentment, but I'm going to follow the rules, but I'm not going to like it. Or there's those kids that because of temperament and style, it's more of watch this. You can't tell me what to do. And there's that big rebellion. And mm -hmm. some of us like me, I mean, I grew up with some, I mean, it wasn't super restrictive, but def, I mean, I got grounded a lot. <laughs> and the big takeaway was I have to get better at sneaking out of that window. <laughs> right. Right. Versus like, oh, my parents were really worried. And so it's just always interesting to hear how people navigate the confines of, you know, their particular flavor of childhood and how they were parented. I have two questions, but I think they're kind of the same question. So fast forward and you become an adult and you have your kids. So how long did it take you before you recognized that the style of parenting that led you to feel some resentment and not really like it was actually something that was, and maybe this wasn't your experience, but you know, that actually was something that was kind of <laughs> embedded in you as a parent. Did you notice that? What was that experience like for you? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, growing up, we had those experiences with our parents where we're like, I'm never going to do that with my child or right, you know, right, we, we make those yeah. vows. Big like, declarations. Not- <laughs> <laughs> and then we have our own children and um, yeah. And then a lot of it is like unconscious, you know, yeah. we just end up perpetuating these patterns that we're not even aware of. And right. we don't know why, like, I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. I just knew that you know, I felt like what I was doing was right. Mm-hmm. I was doing it because I thought it was the right thing to do and what was best for my child. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't exactly, there were still elements of a shift in my parenting compared mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the way I was parented. But yeah, a lot of it was still very much control and, you know, mother knows best. So it wasn't until it was like, my kids were not having it, you know, like, whereas, whereas I may have been more compliant. Right. So maybe to my parents, it seemed like it worked. Right, right, right. But for my kids, especially my oldest, he was not having any of it. And it was uh, just creating so much conflict Mm -hmm. and so many power struggles in our relationship and in our family. And so it sort of came to a head and I was like, this is like, something's wrong. Right. I didn't, I didn't know how to do any different. And I thought like, I thought it was a battle of the wills. Mm-hmm. So if he pushed back, I had to push back harder, mm-hmm. you know, to show, show him mm-hmm. who's boss. But then it just kept on escalating and escalating. And yeah, I was getting to the point of desperation with my child. So that was like, you know, eight years in maybe. Right. <laughs> so it was a long time that I was, um, yeah, tiger parenting and using power over him. And one aha moment that I had was um, I just attended like a parenting workshop and the speaker was just showing us brain scans of kids and what they looked like when they were calm and what they looked like when they were, you know, overstimulated and offline. Um, and so you could see all like the parts that were lit up in the brain. Right. And then just explaining that when when they're in that state, they cannot think logically. <laughs> they cannot really right. listen and learn and calm down. So when we as parents then punish or yell or spank or get angry or whatever we do, we, we just make things worse. We exacerbate the situation and we like make those, their brain fire up even more. And so what they need from us in those moments is really like a calm presence and and support and help so that their brains and their bodies can you know, attune and calm down and regulate. And I think that was a big aha moment for me because like this whole time I had been assuming that my child was being willfully disobedient. Right. Gosh, darn it. (laughs) Difficult. Like, why do you have to be so difficult? Um, Instead of really recognizing that he was having a hard time, Mm -hmm. he needed my help. And once I realized that, yeah, I was so saddened by how I had responded in the past, like, you know, unconsciously and and without this knowledge and in my ignorance. And so, um, yeah, I began to, to shift and to really try to recognize what was going on underneath the behavior. Yeah, that 
is beautiful. So I've been getting groceries from Hungry Root for the last few months, and I am loving it. I use it to keep healthy snacks in the house, and I also order a few meal kits that are easy go-tos during the week. What I love is the variety that shows up in the box. Crunchy snacks, sweets, breakfast smoothies, whatever I've clicked as wanting comes to my door. My dietary wishes are different than my family's. The boys, Ben and Ian, they're always trying to build muscle and gain weight. I am not. Hungry Root gives so many options, it meets all of our needs. In our last box, we got cilantro lime chicken with jasmine rice, and it literally took me seven minutes to put together. Listen, after working all day and doing all the things for the fam, seven minutes to throw together dinner works for me. And the ingredients are good, like high quality good. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's got to taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Save hours of planning, shopping, and cooking. Let Hungry Root deliver the food you love. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Joyful Courage podcast listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to hungryroot.com slash joy and get 40% off your first delivery and those free veggies. That's hungryroot.com slash joy. Don't forget to use our link so that they know we sent you. This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. I am that old. Well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every Meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili tamale bowls and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus, there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. And what I really love, a couple things. First of all, I really hope that listeners heard you talk about, you know, that you were well on your parenting journey, yes. right? Eight. I think a lot of us feel like there's this, like if you don't get it together when they're really little, all is lost. And it's just not true. I mean, I think that we, I mean, I work a lot with parents of teenagers who are just mm -hmm. coming into some of this understanding around behavior and their own personal growth and self-discovery. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, that fear of, oh my gosh, if I had only, so I just want everyone to take a collective breath and know that when we know better, we do better. And it doesn't matter when the knowing better shows up, right? There's no, you know, there's no perfect timeline. And so thank you for sharing that. And I also love what you shared about the brain. I talk a lot about Dan Siegel's work mm-hmm. and Tina Bryson's work. And so we're, we are talking a lot about the brain and the palm of the hand on this podcast, as well as, you know, remembering that behavior, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg and what's happening underneath and, and that self regulation I feel like all of our parenting woes all go back to self-regulation. If it's not our kids' self-regulation, it's our self-regulation. And, you know, and actually when I say that, when we know better, we do better. I want to actually walk that back because that's kind of a light, I don't know. There's a lot of assumptions in that statement. Mm. When we know better, we want to do better, Mm -hmm. right? And so I'm curious for you, Iris, what did it look like? Because we can, you know, read and listen and learn. And then it's, you know, the, the integration of the information, knowing, having our eyes wide open, like, oh, this is, I didn't know that he wasn't just trying to manipulate me or trying to push my buttons, or I didn't realize that I was falling into these generational patterns or whatever it is that we're awakened to, awoken Mm -hmm. to, awakened to, (laughs) um, And then it's like, okay, so, and we're still having these floods of emotion. We're still in the experience uh, in that reactive state. So what Mm -hmm. was it for you to shift into moving towards a different way of being with your son? And how old are your, you have two boys, right? Yes, they are 10 and 12 right now. Great. Mm -hmm. So how, what was your process as far as, being able to dismantle the conditioning and really embody this different way of being with your boys. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned self-regulation, you know, and so I think um, a lot of it for me personally was to process my childhood wounds mm-hmm. and to sort of go back to like, just like the iceberg analogy and just like, you know, the behaviors have all this unmet needs underneath when we look at our children, you know, and the same Mm -hmm. for me. So like, if I am reacting in a certain way to my child, what is my unmet need? What, what are the things that are driving my behavior? And Mm -hmm. to look at that really compassionately, you know, so not to punish myself for, doing something that I shouldn't have done. I need to take responsibility for it, but then to be really compassionate with myself about the, the needs that are driving that behavior. So taking the time to, to grieve what was lost in my childhood, maybe to, to really parent, reparent my inner child. So a lot of it really has, is not, is not, directly related to my relationship with my children. It has a lot to do with my relationship with myself yes, and how I process it. And so that is a lot of the inner work that we need to do as parents, because like whatever it is with our kids, it's really usually just triggering something from our past. Not always, you know, but yeah, for me, that was a lot of it. Learning to 
hold space for my emotions Mm -hmm. and to sort of take a step back to dig a little deeper to what was driving those emotions. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's so important because I believe our kids are doing exactly what they're meant to be doing. And, you know, they're in reaction to the space and the people around them. And if the space and the people around them aren't really tapping into their own experience and, and regulated and, and, remembering that we're the ones, we're the adults, we're the grownups, we're the ones with skills. It's appropriate for our kids to not have skills. <laughs> right, right. This is appropriate. <laughs> yeah, and I really appreciate too, again, reiterating, like we as you know, parent educators, as people who write and speak and share about parenting, you know, I've, I'm guessing this has happened to you where parents want, they want the formula, they want the script, but what am I mm-hmm. supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And we'd all be making a lot more <laughs> money if we had the answer to that, because it's, it really is that dismantling and curiosity of our own experience and being willing to tend to our internal experience and choose into, you know, trying something different because mm-hmm. You know, to me, I remember, I try to remember like, this feels, this is, I'm trying something different because this feels better to me. Mm -hmm. You know, this is more aligned with who I am and what my values are. And, you know, the side bonus, the benefit is that it actually creates a space where the people around me tend to be more connected and more cooperative. Yes, absolutely. It might be the selfish way to put it, but it's all about (laughs) me, Iris. Well, and, and I've heard people come at it a different way, sort of, yeah, you know, because they are so connected to their children or because they see that their child deserves, mm-hmm. you know, autonomy and deserves respect. And then they learn to do that for themselves mm-hmm. because, because of their love for their child. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's not an either or thing. I think it's definitely sure. a combination, but I think as parents to also take responsibility for our actions, you know, we can't, we can't just, um, you know, make excuses for ourselves, but we can be compassionate with ourselves and get the support we need and take responsibility. So um, another aspect of my dismantling was really to begin to question my assumptions about parenting Mm. and about, about children, about misbehavior, all those things, and really learn to just filter it all through through a lens of love and respect and anti-oppression. Mm-hmm. And I think if we have those filters, then we have a good compass of how we are to respond to our kids. You know, yeah. like, yeah, maybe, maybe in the beginning, because we, we don't have those scripts or whatever, we need those words or... Right you know, this is what you do with that. And I think those are helpful, especially in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but as we, you know, connect more to just the foundation of love and respect, then I think in, in those situations where we're at a loss, we can always go back to those things. Yeah. And I appreciate too, that sometimes the words are useful and Mm -hmm. sometimes they fall flat. And I think that what I try to bring people back to as well is, you know, this is some language to play with. Yes. This is language to play with, to try on, to get better at also coupling it with your own 
authentic way of being, yes. you know, letting go of the idea, oh, I'm supposed to say this thing and then the outcome will be what I want because we are emotional beings, yes. living with emotional beings. <laughs> um, so I, I appreciate that. You know, when we think about, I think a lot of us, you know, when you said, you said something early on that sparked this idea. I feel like our generation of parenting, um, of parents, you know, I think perhaps we are, I don't know if we're the first generation to really start to bring more awareness to the ways that we're showing up to mm -hmm. our kids. I know that I, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, my parent, I had parents, I had many parents because of my parents divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely recognize that, you know, there was a certain way that my dad and my stepmom showed up and there, and it was, I would say pretty, um, you know, thoughtful in the way that there was some sense of like planning and con control on their side of like, how should we handle this versus my mom who I adore and have an amazing relationship now. But as a young person, she was pretty dysregulated and would fly off the handle. And it wasn't like, hmm, maybe I should take a second and think about how I want to handle this. Mm. And so, um, and they're just like no shame to either set of parents because mm -hmm. they were doing the best they could with the tools they had. They were doing what they thought they should be doing. And I just am recognizing, you know, here we are now saying, oh, there might be a different way. And maybe I can learn more about myself. And I'm really excited and, and looking forward to, you know, hopefully 10 to 15 years at least before mm -hmm. I'm a grandparent and I get to watch, you know, and, and the same for you, like we get to watch our kids with even more awareness, hopefully mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. how they're showing up for their kids. So I think it's really just exciting and powerful. And, but I think a lot of us are pushing back against this authoritarian style of parenting. Mm -hmm. um, many of us were raised, you know, my way or the highway, kind of controlling. Mm -hmm. And I recognize the rest of you out there who maybe had the flip side of that, the permissive side of that, or perhaps, you know, neglect. Um, mm -hmm. But I want to speak directly to those of us that were raised with a more author authoritarian style. And mm -hmm. I know that when we decide that's not the way I'm going to do it sometimes because there's no great model, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes we swing into the other extreme, which is to be permissive because we don't know what else to do. And that feels out of control and scary too, can feel like a free for all. And so then there's a tendency to swing back <laughs> you know, like that either or and in, in positive discipline, we call it kind or firm um, with, you know, like you said, the compass, I love that the compass, if we're compass is to be kind and firm, right? Cause mm. listeners, Iris is not saying no boundaries. She's not right. saying, you know, no agreements, no routines. This is and I say this because I, I'm a positive discipline trainer. And so people hear that and it's like, oh, kids just get to do whatever they want. Or sometimes when I hear peaceful parenting and I watch conversations around peaceful parenting, there's this 
idea that I noticed coming to the surface where it's all about being nice all the time. And I think that that Mm -hmm. short changes the movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that swing from, you know, kind of commanding, demanding into permissive and then back? Did you have any of that? Like, did you have to move through that or? Yeah, in some ways, some ways I still like, I'm still in the process of trying trying to (laughs) adjust and like, am I being too loose here? Do they need guidance? And so it's a process, right? It's a journey. And I guess just like that um, image of the compass is like, we're constantly trying to find that true north, right? Like, I don't know if we ever really arrive, you know, because we need to constantly be adjusting and constantly pivoting because like suddenly there's a rock right in front of us and we can't go straight ahead. We need to go around it. And so I think it really is, uh, it really does require us to have humility Mm -hmm. and um, connection with our kids so that we can be attuned. And because I think um, it's not a formula, you know, we, we don't get to just plug and chug and get the results that we want. I think that's a a very tiger parenting mindset, you know, but I think um, it is relational and in relationships, there are no guarantees, right? We just have to lean into trust and lean into connection. Um, So I think, but I do think it's important for us not to be reactionary in our Mm -hmm. parenting because then we're we're sort of projecting our own issues onto our kids and creating new problems right so if we uh you know like if we grew up in purity culture and we weren't allowed to date we don't just want to step back and let our kids go wild in their Mm -hmm. sexual exploration without any of our input right we Mm -hmm. still want to provide loving guidance and information and resources and a safe place to talk about things Mm -hmm. so um, I think the problem with swinging back from permissiveness to control is when our kids start doing things that make us uncomfortable. So we yep. think, yeah. So we think, okay, if I have enough connection and they know that I love them, then they'll do what I want. Right. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll make good choices. Bad news, know? everyone. <laughs> well, it doesn't really work that way. You know, no. they have their own autonomy. They have their own journey. And so, yeah, like how can we in those moments not swing back to control um, and not to just like be hands off, but to really keep that communication open and to build in more connection and trust, because if they know we're not there to control it, we're not there to make them do what we want them to do. We're really there to support them and to, yeah, give guidance as they welcome it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. When I think of peaceful parenting, it's not about achieving a desired result um, because that's still a very manipulative contractual kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's a type of parenting that's not about behavior management, right? But is about connection and respect. Yeah. And I feel like I, I don't really love the term peaceful parenting, honestly. Okay. okay. <laughs> why? Explain why. I think it's because I see so many parents trying, like misunder- misinterpreting it. Mm-hmm. Like as it, it, it feels and me, and I'm all for the peace. I mean, we have a giant peace sign on top of our house that's all lit up in lights <laughs> for the holidays. Nice. I am down with peace. 
And I feel like sometimes it's not the concept. It's the, it's just the word. Like it feels like parents are, you know, there's a huge beat up opportunity when they lose their shit, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's, oh, I'm supposed to be peaceful. This is supposed to be peaceful. I feel like it's this idea that there's never any, there's never any emotional dysregulation. And I think Mm -hmm. that as a human being on the planet, you know, that I have through practice, my own experiences that through many, many years of practice, I have managed to lessen my dysregulation. So it happens less often because I have a solid self-care, soul care practice, and my awareness has grown over time. And the, like the level of, you know, lid flipping that happens for me has the intensity is much less. I mean, Mm -hmm. especially thinking back to when my kids were little and I really wasn't recognizing how quickly that conditioning could be triggered. And I still lose it. I still have opportunities to go to my kids and say, wow, I really, I had a really hard time earlier today and the way that I treated you wasn't okay. And I'm really sorry about that. And here's Mm -hmm. how I'm helping myself so that next time I respond in a different way. And I feel like I just, I just really, I'm, I constantly am talking about this because I feel like it's not a parenting fail and nor do I think that peaceful parenting, the thing would say that it was a parenting fail, but I feel like there's this baggage around it. Like you're not allowed to make mistakes. You're not allowed to show up as a human and to screw up. And because, oh my gosh, if that was the test, like you're Mm -hmm. a, you're a good parent, you're a peaceful parent Mm -hmm. when you never raise your voice and you never slide into that controlling pattern, Mm. then I think we'd all be, I mean, I don't know anyone, I mean, even the Dalai Lama, I mean, he's going to (laughs) have some tough days, right? (laughs) He's going to lose it sometimes. I hope so. So anyway, it's just my own little thing. I mean, it's, it's nothing around like the concept and the idea Mm -hmm, of it. It's just mm -hmm. this, I want to make sure that parents understand that it's, you know, okay, there's actually an, a powerful opportunity when we find ourselves making mistakes on the parent side. There's a powerful opportunity for modeling yes, personal responsibility and ownership and accountability and humility, like you mentioned. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just want to speak into that because I have a very different experience with the phrase peaceful awesome. parenting. Yeah, because I started initially, I would often use the phrase gentle parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very commonly used outside, but I've been consciously shifting to using peaceful parenting because I feel like it more accurately describes my vision. Whereas when I talk about gentle, gentle feels like sort of warm and fuzzy and a bit soft, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't really relate. I don't connect to that. <laughs> Not me either. <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm gentle in that way, but I feel like, you know, if we think of peace as like peacemaking, yes. as the, the work of peace, the work of justice as relationship rather than a state, you know, so I don't think of peace as a state. I think of it as work. <laughs> um, and there's a quote that I, that I share with my community and it says, you keep pairing me with quiet peace said, but my true companion is the mighty clamor of chains being ripped clean from the wall. Mm. This is by Lori Hattin. So, 
Yeah, I think it's just like the words that, or, you know, the images that we associate with peace really don't have to do with peace because peace is about justice. It's about, yeah. it's about like, it's very active, it's strong, it's purposeful. Like if you think of like trying to um, build peace between nations, you know, that's yeah. not, that's not something soft. That, no, like, it's not. There's a lot of communication, a lot of, you know, trying to find win-win situations. It's very, it's very powerful. And so it's not something that is like passive or permissive or polite, you know, it's very um, relational and is mutual. Whereas like, I felt with gentle parenting, it sort of just described the parent, mm -hmm. whereas peaceful parenting, I feel like is relational. So yeah, that those are some of my thoughts about why I connect with the word peaceful parenting. Iris, you are you are giving me pause here. I yeah. I like that. I like that. That's a nice shift for me, even in how I was holding it. I appreciate that, and it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, I mean, part of it is it's not. It is. I you said mutual. Mutual respect is something that we talk about in positive discipline. And mutual respect, just to remind everybody that's listening, might come from is I'm going to respect the human in front of me, meaning mm -hmm. I'm going to treat them with dignity and respect, regardless of what's going on, while also respecting myself and the situation. Yes. Yes. And I love that distinction versus well you respect me and I'll respect you. Mm. There's a lot riding on the other person's behavior mm -hmm. there. And I mm -hmm. feel, and it's conditional. And I feel like the version of, you know, I'm going to respect you and I'm going to respect myself. Then I don't have to wait around for you mm. to respect mm -hmm. me. I get to just be again, back to that alignment with my values. I get to mm -hmm. be, you know, the person that I want to be inside of that definition of mutual respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that peace also applies to our relationship with ourselves, yeah. right? Like, do I have peace with myself? Am I aligned to my own values? All right. Yeah. Okay. You've won me over. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace it. <laughs> hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? 
play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Talk about a little bit, you know, and so I'm guessing, you know, you also mentioned earlier on that anti-oppression lens. So Mm -hmm. I can see now that we've had this conversation, how parenting with an anti-oppression lens fits inside of this peaceful parenting Mm -hmm. idea. But is there more that you can tell us about, you know, enlighten us around parenting with an anti-oppression lens? Yeah, I think even among, you know, uh, positive parenting circles or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just like the way we're taught to relate to children can still sometimes be very oppressive and dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and But we don't question it because that's the way it's been done for centuries. Right. Right. So from the time um, children are infants, you know, adults are the ones controlling when they sleep, what they eat, what they wear, you know, just all of it. And so, children rarely have their autonomy and consent honored. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of treatment of children that we justify that we as adults would never tolerate, you know? So I think that's something that we really need to examine and bring awareness to. And that's what I mean when I talk about anti-oppression, because, uh, you know, when we're, you know, thinking about other social justice issues, oftentimes we don't still bring that intersectional lens into our relationship with children. You know, we still feel like we can treat children a certain way for their own good. Yeah. We have the right. But um, yeah. Yeah. But I think we need to start shifting those beliefs and bring awareness to the fact that children are worthy of honor and dignity and certain rights, you know? So the way that we come alongside them has to be um, supportive and respectful of those. Well, and I just, you know, as soon as I got into this work and started supporting parents and myself, you know, what I would come back to is just imagining a world where, well, Peggy O'Mara has that great quote, which I can't, I don't have memorized, but imagining a world, a generation that comes of age and has been brought up in a space that has honored their dignity and Mm -hmm. asked for consent. And like, it would be a different world. I mean, all the crazy people, (laughs) and I don't mean like not mentally ill people, but like the the, uh, over the top, Mm -hmm. no names mentioned right now, but like clearly, Mm -hmm. you know, would have been a different outcome with some different kind of support and love and guidance. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, Yeah. definitely the way that we treat our children has a massive effect on the type of world that we grow up in, Mm -hmm. that we, that they will grow up in. And this is, we build together, you know, if you're used to people just towing the line and not questioning oppression, not speaking, if you haven't made it, then 
you know, you have failed in some way. Um, that's just, yeah, there's a complete lack of empathy, mm-hmm. a desire to just follow the status quo and not question yeah. injustice. Like all of that has starts with parenting for sure. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your book. Yes. So I wrote a book called Untigering Peaceful Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent. Um, So a lot of it was my own personal journey of leaving behind coercive parenting to embrace peaceful parenting, um, especially centering my own experience as a Chinese American who is trying to put this philosophy into practice, like despite my cultural you know, baggage and my mm-hmm. family dynamics that I grew up with and all that. So yeah, I really wanted to write a book for somebody like me because there's so many uh, resources out there that are written by white people and mm-hmm. for a white audience. And even as I began my blog, just realizing that my experience as an Asian American woman, as an Asian American parent is different and mm-hmm. it has different flavors and a different lens in some ways. And so I wanted to bring that into um, a parenting book that was accessible for people like me. So yeah, that is coming out uh, January 5th of 2021. And I'm really excited to share it with everyone. Yay. Where can people find your book? Yes, it will be on Amazon. So yes, you can just uh, look it up there. It will be available in paperback and ebook. Nice. Tell us where we can follow you and find your work. Yes. So I have a blog, untigering.com. I also post to social media on Facebook. I have Mm -hmm. a Facebook page at Untigering and an Instagram account at Untigering as well. And I will make sure all of those links, listeners, are in the show notes. I have a final question for you, Iris, and I ask all my guests this at the end of our interview. And in the context of untigering parenting, what does joyful courage mean to you? I really love how you pair those two words together because they're not often (laughs) put together like that. Um, But when I think of joyful courage um, in terms of parenting, I think of a kind of hopefulness and a trust. Um, so no matter what this, the situation is, there's still that, that underlying spirit of, of hopefulness and trust. And the courage um, to let go, the courage to let go of the lie that we need to be in control, mm. the lie that... Um, yeah, we have to be the one in charge and do things the way it's always been done. The courage to try something new and to let go. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. It's been super great to get to know you and uh, talk parenting with you. Yes, I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening. If you feel inspired, if you're excited, if you loved the content today or any other day, 
and you haven't already done so, please do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We are working hard to stand out and make a massive impact on families around the globe. Your review of the podcast really helps Joyful Courage to be seen by even more parents. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, be sure to follow me at joyful underscore courage on Instagram and joyful courage on Facebook. We love connecting with you on social media. And don't forget to sign up for the upcoming Brave New World Summit. Sign up now to get that journey to joy bonus. www.joyfulcourage.com slash BNW. Love you. Don't forget in the moment when you're feeling that overwhelm, take a breath, ride it into your body, find the balcony seat, and remember that everything is going to be okay. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking